years of age, and I'm standing on a stage, and I've got about 400 kids standing in front of me. And a guy hands me a microphone and says, I want you to go out there and talk to these kids. I want you to go out there and I want you to tell them the difference that Jesus Christ has made in your life. I became a Christian, uh, I must have been 19, I'd just become a Christian. and It was 19 years of age. And so I walked out on stage and as I'm walking out on stage, I've got a microphone in my hand and here's what I'm doing. I start walking out and I, I just notice something's not right. And what it was was... My legs were literally, that's not exactly, my legs are going like this. Like, it was like I was in control of my upper body, but my lower body was just like this. And as you can imagine, there's 400 kids, all aged from 12 years of age to 17 years of age, and they just start laughing at me, all right? They're looking at me, snickering and so on. And I'm thinking, okay, I've got to stand here and tell you that why, why Jesus is good. And the first thing I'm showing you is, well, he'll bugger your legs up. They won't work properly if you come to him. And so I walked out on the stage, and my first thought was, okay, that's not going to work. So what I need to do is weight off my legs. If I can take the weight off my legs, maybe they won't shake. So I walked over to the edge of the stage at high school there, and I sat on the edge of the stage, and my feet are dangling. It's about a sort of a six-foot drop down, so my feet are dangling. So the weight's off the legs, so the legs are no longer shaking. Whew, succeeded in that one. Then I went to pick up the microphone, and I noticed something's not right here. And my hand is literally going like this. The microphone's going right across, right to left, right to left. And I'm looking at my hand going, okay, this isn't cool either. You know, it's bad enough talking in front of these kids. And so I thought, well, how do I stop that from happening? Well, the only way I could think was I took the weight off the legs and they stopped shaking. Maybe if I take weight off my arm, my hand will stop shaking. So I got my elbow and I tucked it right in here as tight as I could and leant forward and took weight off it. So now I'm sitting on the stage like this in front of about 400 kids, 12 years of age to 18 years of age. And I'm about to tell them, come to Jesus, he'll make you just like me. And then as I go to open up my mouth and start to talk, the right side of my face went into a total spasm from the top of my forehead to the bottom. It's going like this. And at that stage, everybody just burst into laughter. They're mocking, they're, they're pointing fingers at me. And I'm on stage going, if you just come to Jesus, you can be just like me. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Jesus will change your life for the better, you know? And all these kids are cracking up. And then I, I look over here and I see this little girl sitting there, 12 years of age, and I recognize it was my sister. Just didn't tweak me that my sister was going to be there. So she's sitting there snickering to her friends and, oh, here's my brother. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I've got to look somewhere else because that's just freaking me out now as well. And so I thought, I'll look at the other side of the stadium where the other 200 kids are, and I look over here, and the first person I make eye contact with is my 12-year-old cousin, who's also doing the same thing. Well, that's my cousin, <laughs> laughing point. All I remember of that whole experience, I don't even know what I said. I'll guarantee this, there are probably kids all around this country right now getting counselling because I so messed with their head and so messed with their view of Jesus that they're, they're, they're having to get professional help just to maintain a normal balance in life right now. Whatever I said was dribble rubbish. All I remember doing was going, okay, I'm going to look at the back door. There's a door at the back of the hall. I'm going to stare at that door, just spit out whatever I can as quick as I can. When I was finished, I literally dropped the microphone, jumped off the stage and ran through the middle of all these kids out the back door into a mate's car and we went to the beach. <laughs> that was my first experience of ever getting up in front of anybody and speaking. And I thought, how did this happen? You know how it happened? Because somebody gave me an invitation to come and do it. There was a Uniting Church youth pastor who knew I'd gotten saved out of Ballina High. So he came and said to me, why don't you come to Ballina High 
And initially, by the way, this is how Christians work. Don't trust Christians. Don't trust them. Don't trust pastors, youth workers. Don't. Don't. And so he says to me, Alan, will you come to Ballina High? By the way, back then, Ballina High was the third largest high school in the state of New South Wales. We didn't have all the surrounding high schools back then. It was the third largest in New South Wales. And so he says to me, will you come to school and will you speak to a little grade seven class, the first year of high school, a bunch of 12-year-old, 13-year-old kids. I'm thinking, oh, look, Jesus hung on a cross, beaten, died, smashed up for me, talking to 12-year-old. Yeah, it's a fair trade. I'll do that for you, God. No worries. You know, I surrender all to you, Jesus. I'll take those little 12-year-old kids. And so I am told this is what's going to happen. So I rock up on the day thinking I'm going to sit in a small classroom with about you know, 20 kids. When I get there, then he meets me and he goes, oh, by the way, there's been a slight, a slight change of plans, Al. Okay, what's that? Well, instead of one grade seven class, it's going to be all of grade seven. Is that okay, he says to me. And outwardly, I go, yeah, no, that's fine. Now, inwardly, I'm going, ah, like this, you know. I'm freaking out. No way. But of course, you know, outwardly, oh, yeah, please, easy, whatever. You know, Jesus died for me. I can do this for him. And so, and he goes, oh, by the way, it's not just all of grade seven. It's also all of grade eight. And it's all of grade nine. And all the teachers that you had for all your years at school are all going to be in the hall there listening to you as well. And I'm, you know, is that okay? Outwardly, yeah, of course. <laughs> but, you know, I'm in this now. I can't back out without losing face and looking like a chicken. So here I am, and I go into this room, and there's 400 kids there, and, so, and I get up and I start speaking. Now, I'm the kid at school. When there was an oral presentation, I literally wagged school. I never once from my, my, my first year of school to my last, not once did I stand in front of a class and give an oral presentation because I would just not go to school. If it was time for that class in high school and there was an oral, I would just jump the fence and I would go for a walk downtown or do whatever to just not be there because I hated speaking in front of people. Now, what's interesting is here I am uh, 25, 26 years on and I've stood in front of large groups, hundreds of school kids, and shared my story, my experience, my encounter with Jesus, how he's changed my life. I've stood in university campuses all up and down the east coast of Australia and stood in cafeterias at lunchtime and engaged with these intelligent, intellectual university people. And I've had, you know, I've had the usual food thrown at me and people wanting to punch you because you're talking about God and all sorts of stuff. I've stood on platforms in India with hundreds, thousands of people there and preached the gospel. I've been into villages. I've been to places where I was the first white person to ever go there. Not only that, I've been to several villages where I was the first person to ever go in there and talk to these people about Jesus. They'd never heard about Jesus and no one had gone to those places. The gift that God has placed upon my life has allowed me to do a lot of really, really wonderful things. Not everything I've had to do is, is prominent, but every time I've had a chance to use that gift, I, I know it's been significant. Things have happened and I've grown as a person and I've felt that sense of fulfillment that, that you get when you're doing what you know God created you to do, what God made you to do. And it all started from somebody giving me an invitation, somebody seeing something on my life and going, Alan, you know what, there's a gift on your life. But what good is a gift if you're not going to do something about it? What good is having a gift on your life if you're not going to use that gift? And as believers, what good is it having a gift that we know is from God if we're not going to use that gift in some way, shape or form to engage in kingdom building, to engage in the work of God 
and the mission of God on planet Earth. Now, last week we talked a little bit about um, you know, knowing that what your gift is, uh, accepting the gift upon your life, and then actually performing, doing something with that. Now, that opened up a lot of conversation amongst people I've been hearing this week, uh, a lot of good, positive conversation. What a lot of people have been asking is, okay, well, if I have a gift on my life, what is that gift? You know, that's a really, really great place to be in and a really wonderful question to start to ask yourself because it, it, it shows that you're at least thinking a little bit outside of yourself. It shows that you're thinking a little bit about what is it that God has deposited inside your life, not only for your benefit, not only for you to, to perhaps make a living or to earn an income or not only for you to, to, to open doors for you and so on, but for you to also participate in the building and the expansion of the kingdom of God, to participate in whatever it is that God is actually doing here on planet Earth. How many of you believe God is doing something? Who believes God's doing something? See, one of my favorite verses is the beginning of Acts. Acts 1.1. The former account I made an excellent Theophilus of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, Jesus is gone. He's been crucified. He's been buried. He's resurrected. He stood in front of the disciples, and he's gone up there, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So in the natural sense, it looks like he, what he should have said is all that Jesus did because he's finished now. He's up there, but he didn't. He said, no, no, Jesus is still doing things on planet earth he's doing it through the vehicle of the holy spirit through the lives of the church through us through you and through me god still has a mission a plan a purpose and god is still doing things so what jesus began to do and teach and then what he writes in the book of acts is what jesus continued to do and teach for the next 30 years but from that point onwards jesus has begun to do and to teach through the lives of people like you and me average everyday people who put their hand up and say lord Take what you can and, and, and invite me to do something with you. Invite me to be a part of your big picture, a part of your big plan. Now, last week we talked a little bit about, uh, about uh, uh, acknowledging, first of all, that yes, there's a gift upon my life. Uh, secondly, accepting it, not trying to be somebody else or getting frustrated because your gift is not that person's gift or you can't have that gift or whatever, but just accepting what God has placed upon your life. See, God knows things you don't know. You know, God knows things about you that you don't know. And God's put stuff in you for a reason. If I was to say to you 20 years ago, did you know you'd be sitting here in a rise church in 20 years' time? If I said that to you 20 years ago, you'll be sitting in the GSAC on Sunday morning, on, this, on the 24th of September, you'll be sitting in the GSAC and, 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 and you'll be in, in a church that doesn't believe in members, that doesn't believe in attenders, but believes in participants. Believes in not consumers who are there just to, what can I get out of this, but are contributors. If I told you 20 years ago you're going to be here, you probably would not have known. You probably would say, I have no idea. Or maybe you'd just laugh and go, no way. You know? Maybe you'd just say, that's ridiculous. I won't even be in a church in 20 years. I want nothing to do with religion. I want nothing to do with Jesus, whatever. But you are here right now. And you're here for a reason. You're here for a reason. Not just sitting in this chair. I believe that you're here in this chair, in this church, in this season, in this time for a purpose. But you're in this area for a reason and a purpose too. It's a God-ordained purpose. It's not just that it's a great university and you happen to get in there. You know? You know, God could have stopped you getting into uni here if you're in uni. God could have stopped you getting the job you got that brought you to this area. God could have done any of that if he wanted to. Yeah, but he didn't. And the Bible says that God takes all things and he works them together for the good of those that love him. He does things. He's active, he's involved, and he's moving things around in our world. And many of us, many of us have gifts and talents and things in our life, and they just kind of lie dormant. And we don't do much with them. A lot of people don't even think about what's upon their life. Yet 1 Peter 4.10 tells us that God has given each of us a gift. God himself 
has put something in your life. It's not just a DNA thing. It's not just something that's there because you were brought up in an environment and so you learned how to do certain... Uh, it's not just that. There's something uniquely impressed in you, imprinted into you, put there by God himself, the one that we were worshipping, the one who was mighty to save, the one who was above all. He put something in you. Think about that. Think about that. If you, if you have a low self-esteem, just take that out of today. Just take that. God thought you were so special and so important that he took something of himself, a gift. He looked down, he said, this is, he knows the times, the places, the seasons we're going to be born. And he says there's going to be a time, place, season. This is what the world's going to look like. This is what's going on. I want that person in that place at that time with that gift for that reason. That's how specific God is. God knows this stuff. We're not here by accident. None of us are here by accident. If you think you're here by accident, then most of what I'm saying today, you probably won't engage with it. Okay? But if you can embrace the fact that you're not here by accident and you're not the person you are by accident, yes, things have happened. Yes, things have shaped us and things have molded us. But nothing that's happened to us has taken that gift out of our life. Nothing that's happened has taken that gift out of our life. I hated speaking in front of people. I avoided it and I went to school to get away from it. But guess what? God placed a gift inside of my life. And it was only a matter of time before God revealed that, brought it out, I accepted that and started to function and move in that gift. And each of us in that room, in this room here today, you have something in you that God wants to show you, wants you to embrace. But not only that, he then wants you to do something with it. Do something with it. So I want to talk a little bit kind of practical, pragmatic, whatever, uh, in the time that we've got left here this morning. And I want to talk about some practical things, just five simple things you can do to discover, to start that journey of discovering what is it that's on your life. Because once you find that thing, it then opens up a whole world of possibility and conversation. Okay, how can I take that thing, because God put it in me, how can I take that thing, what can I do, how can I use that thing to not only, you know, create an income or wealth for my family, to not only uh, give me prominence or position or whatever it is that, because for a lot of us it's already active, we're already using it, but how can I take a bit of that and how can I tithe it if you want? How can I give a portion of that energy, that time, that gift over here into this realm where it's all about building the kingdom of God? How can I do that? So that's what I'm hoping at the end of today, that you'll embrace these things and it will open up and generate this discussion internally amongst ourselves, uh, in your connect groups and so on. What, what do we do with this stuff? Because we're moving into a building soon. We're going to move into a place, concrete walls, concrete floor. The truth of the matter is that place is no different to this place. It's just a building. It's just a building. But it gives us a great deal of opportunity to do something more over there than it does here because we have control of that space over there. That's our space. So it gives us opportunity. It's, it's God's way of saying, I'm going to throw the invitation out to you. I'm not going to make you do anything, but I want you to know there's a massive invitation to a massive opportunity with your name written across the top and God's handing it to us going, here's your opportunity. Here's the invitation. I'm doing something. Who's coming with me? Who wants to bring their gifts, their talents to the table and work with me? And let's, let's do something. Let's play our role in seeing our region changed, in seeing our city impacted, seeing individuals changed and have their eyes opened up to the reality that there is a God out there that loves them, that loves them so much that he sacrificed himself on a cross 2,000 years ago. Not so the world could have another religion, but so that we could have relationship with him that we could enter into life, not just exist here on planet Earth and go through the motions, 
but we can actually experience life and life as God intended, not as the world tells us that life is. I want to say this. A life of significance starts where God's gift in you dissects with God's mission for you. Okay? I'll say that again. I believe that significance in life starts where the gift of God in your life crosses path with the mission of God for your life. When you get those two things working together, you will find a sense of significance, a sense of purpose in your life beyond just your natural, I'm here for 80 years and I've just got to get a house and a car and love my kids and love my family. You'll find that there's, there's something connects, something spiritual happens in our life when the gift of God in our life crosses or dissects with the mission of God for our life. And that's the opportunity I feel like God's giving to us. He's inviting us to join him in the mission that he has for this area. And he's saying, you know, each of you have gifts and talents. And each gift and talent is important. And I want to use each gift and each talent. But, you know, the beautiful thing about God is that God is a gentleman. God does not force himself upon any human being. And you might take that invitation and throw it back at him and say no. You might think I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. God, I'm not perfect enough. Uh, Lord, I'm not smart enough. My gift's not refined. You might have all the excuses under the sun and you can hand that invitation back. God will not love you any less. He'll still love you with a passion. He can't love you any more than he does. It's not about the love of God. It's not about God liking you or, or getting mad at you because you don't accept the invitation. No, no, God, God is gracious and loving. It's nothing to do with how he, he accepts you or embraces you. But it's an exciting invitation for you. It's all about you. It's all about you, really. You're, we're the ones that benefit from this invitation when we engage with God and we engage with God's mission. Anyone ever heard of a guy called Nicky Gumbel? Nicky Gumbel? Yeah? He started um, uh, Alpha Courses, I think it was. He's the guy that started Alpha? He started Alpha Courses. He said this once. He said, the church is like a football game. Okay? American football, so stay with me with the numbers. He said, there are 22,000 people in the stands in desperate need of exercise, watching 22 people in desperate need of a rest. That's awesome. That's awesome. I read that and I thought, my goodness, what a fantastic analogy. The church is like a football game. 22,000 people just happy to be entertained, eat their hot dogs, have their soda pop, cheer somebody on, watch somebody else who's put in the hard yards and the hard work and, 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 then, and then go. I even notice this with sporting teams. Like You get in the stands and you watch the game. And if they win, it's you. You ever notice the way, listen to the way people talk. If, if the Roosters had won last night, Jackie, I said to Jackie, Jackie, how did the Roosters go? She would have said this phrase, we won, wouldn't you? It's what we do. We associate with the winner. She would have said, oh, we won. We played well. We did great. We got on top of them. We did this. But whenever your team loses, it's they. Oh, how'd, they go? how'd the Roosters go? Oh, they lost. They lost. They didn't play really good. They dropped the ball too much. It's true, isn't it? Whenever, we, whenever our team wins, it's we. Like We're a part of them. We're in there. But when they're not winning, it's they. They. No, no. Your team lost. You can't just take the wins and not the losses. But it's the way that we talk about things. We, they, and so on. And I love that analogy. That the church is kind of like that. It's like a sporting game. 22,000 people sitting there cheering on, getting what they can out of the entertainment, while 22 people are in there doing it all, going, man, but I need a break. And they're going, no, no, smash him, keep going. That guy's got a sore leg, run at him, run over the top of him, crush him, ah, kill him. Yeah, he got him. You know, that guy's broken his ankle, passed the ball over there, kicking at him. No mercy. And we can kind of be like that a little bit 
as a church too. I love that analogy. It's a great picture. I don't want to be the church of the 22,000. Rise Church, I don't believe that it's God's vision that we be the church of the 22,000. I believe we're the church of the 22. I believe we're the people out there on the field, bringing our gifts, bringing our talents, and doing something positive to impact the community around us. So I just want to give you five real quick things that you can do to help you identify what is the gift of God upon your life. Now, when we talk about gifts, by the way, let me just preface this for, for a minute. Depending on who you read in the Bible, uh, Guthrie, who did a, a, a Ryrie, sorry, Dr. Ryrie, who did a study Bible, I think he identifies 14 to 16 gifts when he, he's a theologian. He says there's 14 to 16 gifts in the Bible. And then you've got the other extreme, the Peter Wagner. Has anyone ever read Peter Wagner's stuff on church growth and so on? Peter Wagner will say there's 29 gifts in the Bible. So we've got one theologian saying there's 14 to 16. Then we've got another theologian saying there's 29. Let me give you my perspective really quickly. I think that there is an unlimited number of gifts in the body of Christ. I think there are more gifts than what we think. But see, we, we've got to understand everything, don't we? In Christianity, we, we've got to understand everything. That's why Kurong is so full of books on every single topic. How, how uh, you know, I mean, we, we can't stand the fact that we don't know how a microwave oven works, so there's manuals on how microwaves work and how to, how to create a, a pea out of, I don't know, a... a, a matchstick or, you know, how to 3D make something out of it. I mean, we, we are just knowledge, 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 knowledge. We want to know everything about everything. We do that in Christianity. We bring that into our faith and we've got to know everything about faith. That's why it's seven ways to this. In other words, if you do these seven things, you are guaranteed this outcome because we've worked it out. We've done the science. We've studied it. And you do those seven things and you get disappointed because it doesn't actually work like that. But we still propagate all this stuff, you know. I think when it comes to the gifts of God upon us, they are limitless. I don't think there is... is here, did you know, here's a fact, I only found this out this week because I'm a smart man, I do my research. Here's what I learned this week, all right? The human faces, look around the room for a second, everybody's face. Did you know that no two human faces are absolutely identical? Shock, horror. Did you know that? Did I just give you a revelation? I noticed you didn't write that down, Dill. Did you already know that? Come on, I'm watching that pen. I'm watching the smoke fly off your pen. Now, here's the thing. No two human faces are exactly identical. Yet, let me tell you something else. And, and, and don't look around right now. I want you to look around in a second. I'm going to give you another piece of, of, of amazing revelation. Every human face is made up of a forehead, a chin, two cheeks, one nose, two eyes, one mouth, two lips, and two ears. Isn't that amazing? Now look around. See if I'm right. Now, quick, I want you all to look around and see if I'm right. Don't take, hey, don't take my word for it. Don't, don't take my word for it. Look around. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Every face. Okay, Jackie said some have got chins, plural. Yeah, I'm going to start standing like this from now while I talk. <laughs> Here's my point. Even though so much is exactly the same... Nothing is exactly the same. Every, fa- every head is made up of the same components, yet no two heads are exactly alike. 
And that, to me, is a representation of the immense giftings of God and his people right across the known universe. Okay? So I don't want to talk uh, today. You know, we could sit here and we could get nitty-gritty and we could talk about the, 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 you know, the five gifts of the Son and the seven gifts of the, this and the four gifts and who's, what's from the Father. And what's, but, you know, I don't think God cares about that. I don't think any of that stuff is written in the Bible so that we'll get bogged down in it. Who cares if you're not doing something with what you have? Who cares? I don't care about the definition of my gift. I just care that I'm doing something with it. Amen? I don't care if we don't all know exactly the nitty-gritties and where in the Bible to find it and how it operates. In the Look, if you're interested in that, go hard. Get into it. But personally, I don't care about all that stuff. What I care about is are you doing something with what you know you have? Amen? Are you doing something with what you know you have? That's the important thing. And I think that's what God cares about. When we get up there, I don't think God's going to go, well... <coughs> You know, you had a, a gift of, of service upon your life. And you can quote back to, well, here's where it's mentioned in the Bible, and it's here, and this guy, and this guy, and this is what it looks like, and this is how it operates, and this is what you feel like on the inside when you're starting to use it, and this is what happens when you stop, and so on. I just think he's going to shake his head and go, but did you use it? Did you do anything with it? Did you do anything with what I gave you? God didn't give us these things in our life to work out definitely. He wants us to use them. You know, I would love to do a, a, a whole series for one whole year on just do something. Because the church doesn't lack knowledge. The church doesn't lack revelation. The church doesn't lack information. The church lacks the ability and people who just want to do something. We get bogged down in knowledge. Just do something. If the church today in the Western world, if the church in Australia was to not learn another thing, but to just start doing some of the things that we know to do, there would be a massive revival across our land. I, I believe that with all my heart. We don't need any more information. We just need to start to go and do something with what you know you should be doing. Okay? Be doers of the word, not hearers only, James says, deceiving yourself. Just because you know what the definition of your gift is, God's not jumping out of his skin over, oh yeah, they finally understand what speaking in tongues is. Ooh. They finally understand prophecy. They finally understand hospitality and helps. And they finally, you know, I don't think he's going, yeah, it's, it's all right. But I'm not talking to you. I'm not, I'm not downloading definitions in your head at night. I'm trying to inspire you. Do something with it. Go and take it and do something. So five really, really simple things, simple things that, that uh, we can do to try to discover that gift upon our life. And, and it's not, I'm, not, I'm being fairly pragmatic, fairly practical here. I'm not going to go too, too deeply over-the-top spiritual, and I hope that's okay. First thing you can do is pray. Novel idea. Novel idea. Pray. Ask God, God, what is it? What is that gift? 1 Peter 4.10 says, you put a gift in my life. What is the gift that you've put in my life, God? Start by asking God, what is it that he placed in your life? You know, for many of you, you're probably already operating in it. You're probably already using it. But you've never made the connection that, you know what, this is something God's put on my life. You know, my wife here, for years and years and years, she would get frustrated because she would go to the shopping center to buy uh, two liters of milk. And she would come home seven hours later having heard somebody's whole life story, having had someone download upon them what's happening with all... I mean, she knew more about that woman than her husband of 20 years did in the space of five minutes because there's just... People just want to talk to her. You know what? Sometimes that frustration... No one wants to talk to me. It's almost like people think I don't care. No 
Thomas talked to me. I've got my friends from childhood that come to visit my house and catch up with me that I've known for 30 years so they can talk to my wife. But I went to school with you. Yeah, yeah, but I just want to talk to your wife. Okay. And it's all kosher. It's all above board. But you know what? There's something on her life. But you know what? She, she never used to be able to see it. She used to buck at it. She used to get frustrated. She would come home angry, like literally angry. I just wanted milk. I didn't want a hero. I just want milk. You know, I remember we moved into our new home in Pasco Street, uh, Marshall Street in Brisbane. Uh, Pasco Street, sorry, in Brisbane. It's the first day, for goodness sake. We've moved back from India. We've just gone out. First day in the neighbourhood. And she goes out the back to hang clothes out on a line. And as usual, I mean, if she goes out of my sight, I just know if there's another human being anywhere, I'm not going to see my wife again. <laughs> it's, you know, we go out. So if I want to go out and have time with my wife, I, I, I'll go to Budapest or something like that because if anybody knows her or anybody has uh, uh, anything going, they just gravitate towards and want to talk to her, you know, wherever we go. So I ended up, I'll, I'll stand there and she'll chat away and God's doing all kinds of things. And I'm like, oh God, really? Do you have to do that right now? I mean, I just, she just wants to have a coffee with my wife. But she's got this incredible gift on her life. She came back in the house that day. She's gone out to hang out the clothes. And it's like an hour later. And I look out the back window of the kitchen and here's this woman leaning over the fence crying. It's like, oh, come on, not again. I mean, we just moved here. We don't even know that lady next. I don't even know, I don't even know you. You're not even my friend. That's my wife. Leave her alone. And she come upstairs and she's frustrated, you know. And I used to say to her, though, all the time, can't you see there's a gift on your life? That's not natural. It's not normal. This doesn't happen to everybody, but it happens to you all the time, everywhere you go. And she used to fight it and buck it and argue with it, you know. But I look back at her life, and, you know, my wife, uh, when she left school, she became a hairdresser, you know. And, and I was thinking about this the other day. You know, the gift on her life was not doing this with a pair of scissors. Again, it was that ability to communicate and to talk one-on-one with these people while they're getting a haircut, and they would open up and they would tell her things. And you know, some she told me stories where some nights she would close the salon at the end of the night uh, when the when the shop was. She'd close it just so she could sit there and talk to some customer about some stuff. And this is before she's even given her life to Jesus. You know, it's like who does that? But there's this gift upon her life, you know. But I remember there finally came a point where she embraced that as a gift and went, you know what? I can see that there's this thing in my life. And God opened up her eyes and she was able to go, no, that's, that, that's the gift and I accept that gift. That's, that's a gift upon my life. No point fighting it, but, but I'll accept that gift. Sometimes we can see the gifts in each other, but we can't see them in ourselves. So pray. Ask God to open up your eyes and show you what is that thing, what is that gift that he's placed inside of you. So that penny will drop and you'll go, thank you, God, that's that thing. And like I said, Many of us are already operating in this stuff. We just don't realize it right now. Second thing is look for opportunities to serve the body with that gift. Now, I know that a lot of us, uh, we, we, we have those gifts on our life, and a lot of us are probably already operating in stuff outside the body of Christ. But did you know that the Bible actually tells us that we should be serving one another as well? Let me give you a couple of scriptures to have a, a bit of a look at. 1 Peter 4.10, it says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. The starting point is, is use those gifts to serve one another. You know, sometimes we don't want it. We just want to... Oh, and I'm like that. I, I'm evangelistic by nature. So the truth of the matter is, if I come across like I don't care about any of you, it's not true. I do. But I can come across like, no, no, I just want to go out there and do everything out there. I don't really want to spend my time in here. But you know what? The Bible says, no, we need to care for one another. There's a gift on my life that I need to, first of all, use to serve the body. 
Now, I get opportunities out there, and I do it in different functions and different ways. But you know what? Part of the responsibility of the gift God gave me is to serve the body of Christ as well, to serve people in Arise Church. I'm here to serve with the gift that's upon my life and find ways to do that. Let me give you another verse, Galatians 6.10. Galatians 6.10 says this, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good for everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Think about that. Whenever you get the opportunity, you should do good to who? To who? Everyone. But, you should be doing this to everyone, but especially to those in the family of faith. Think about that. It's, 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 a, it's a radical thought. I was thinking about that this week. Especially to those in the family of faith. Why God? I mean, our mission's out there. We want to save the world. Why? why? And I suddenly started to think about different organisations I've been involved in. And I've been involved in sporting organisations. I'm, I'm the president of a, a current, currently of a, of a sporting organisation in Ballon. I have been for 10 years, a sporting club. I've been involved in other uh, groups and organisations and so on. You know what I've found in every organisation you go into? There's politics, there's backbiting, there's favouritism. You know, if you've got more, you get more. All that stuff. Who's ever been involved in organisations? And there's all this stuff behind the scenes. Everyone here knows what I'm talking about. And yet, I thought... God, I wonder if that's why you want us to serve one another in the context of the church. Because we're not just another organization. When I come into the church and, and, and outsiders come on in, I don't want to come in and say, oh, you're just another group. You know, the rich people get the favor and the poor people have to sit over here or the, the pe- more gifted people that have the more extravagant gifts get treated this way and the others get treated like that. If you don't do this, you can't... Uh, you know, we're not an organization like that. And when people come on in, they see the unity in the body of Christ and they see the way that we care for the broader body. You know? The analogy of a family. Now, I don't, it's not my favorite analogy because it has its flaws, but there's an element where I think God wants us to, to, to show that uh, uh, element to the world around us that, that that's what you do. You accept the imperfections of others. We, well, there's grace there. There's love there. We serve one another. We care for one another's needs. You know, I think it's Timothy writes, you know, that if you, if you don't care for the needs of your own family, he says, he actually, he said, I think it's in Timothy, he says, you're worse than an unbeliever. Everyone read that verse? It says, if you don't care for your own family and take care of the needs of your own family, you are worse than an unbeliever. And I kind of think maybe that's kind of the, the idea here. You know, there's, there's about 60 times in the Bible is, is the, the, the word one another. 60 commands in the Bible that we are to one another each other. We're to one another each other. 60 times in the Bible. That's a lot of one anothering. There's a lot of one anothering going on. And when there's not a lot of one anothering going on, we're not doing what God wants us to do. We're not, we're not expressing to the world the, 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 how great God is, the love of God, the acceptance of God. You know, Because you look more religious or you cross more I's and dot more T's or you've got more money. Or, I mean, that's not God. It never has been God. But when we treat people with favor because of that kind of stuff, you know, we're no different to any other organization. And I don't think that's what God wants. Amen? I don't think that's the kind of... You know what? It's unfortunate, but the history of Christianity in the West is that so much, so many times we've operated like that and we've communicated to the world around us this image of God that's just not true. Now, if God was looking for perfection, I wouldn't be standing here because God knows stuff about me even you don't know. You know? Thankfully, his toes and hair aren't curling when he knows about it. He still loves me and has grace for me and so on. But we're called to serve the world and he says especially serve one another. 
because it gives people an image of what family really is. We live in a, in a world today where people, not everybody gets to experience family the way it should be, you know? Not, every, not everybody gets to experience the love, the acceptance, the grace that you get in a, in, in, in a good family and so on. And so God says, well, here's my body here. I want you to show that. Start by showing it to one another and so on. So serve one another. Third thing we can do is think. There's a novel idea for Christians. <laughs> we can think. We can actually, you know, when we get saved, we don't throw our brain out the window, you know, and everything becomes this surreal feelings thing. Oh, we can still think. We're allowed to engage our head and think. So here's what I want you to think about. Think about what do you enjoy doing? There's another novel idea. Who could fathom that God may have actually gifted you in an area of something you enjoy? Who would imagine that if you enjoyed something, it could possibly be okay by God? I mean, that's just radical thinking right there, you know? Some of us have this image that whatever it is that God's called us to do, or whatever God's placed on it, we're going to hate it. That's not God. That's not a good father, you know? Well, I remember when I was in YWAM, and, and, and we would go on missions trips, and all these students from around the world would come, and we would go on, on missions trips to different parts of the world, and we'd go and we'd work with the poor and needy in Thailand, India, all these places. You know, everybody would, nobody would want to pray and say, God, where would you like me to go? I've got five destinations here. They wouldn't want to pray because everyone would say, I'm too scared that God will tell me to go to India. And I'd say, why? And they'd say, well, because I don't like it. Because I don't like it. It's like God's up there wanting you to do all these things you hate because that just proves that he's God and that you're just a tiny minion of his down here on planet Earth. It doesn't work like that, okay? Ask yourself the question. You know the famous runner, Eric Little, Chariots of Fire, and din, 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 din. You know that movie? Din, 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 din. Stop doing that? Okay. Just you and me at home. I do it all the time at home to Jackie when I run to You know, he made this statement once. He said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. In other words, when I do that thing, that gift that's upon me, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I'm doing what God made me to do, I actually enjoy it. So ask yourself the question, what do you enjoy doing? It could be a bit of a key to the gift that's upon your life. It could be a bit of a key to that thing that's in your world that you can use to bless others. That thing in your world that you can use to serve the community around you. What do you like? So pray, ask God. Secondly, look for opportunities to serve. Thirdly, think, ask yourself some questions. What do I like to do? What makes me come alive and so on? Um, fourthly, and we'll finish up, examine the fruit. When you do something, what's the fruit of it? You know? Let me tell you something. When I go and run kids' church, for example, all the children cry. They burst into tears and cry and scream. I just don't have it in me that, to, 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 to run kids' things. Kids don't like I mean, they like me, you know, but, but, but they, they like me when they're safe to other people. But when it's just me, kids look and they go, we have no trust that you can take us somewhere. No, you know. I just don't have a gift with kids. So, so I don't involve myself in... But, you know, some people say, you've got wonderful gifts with young people, you know. I could never be a teacher. Jordan here, Jordan's fantastic with young kids. He's just got this natural thing on him. Young kids like hanging out with Jordy. Huh? All the young kids here, don't they? Up the back, they love hanging out with Jordan because he's really, really good with kids. He's got this natural thing on him. He hasn't been to university, he hasn't studied. It's just on his life that he's really, really good with kids. He's got patience and grace and all that stuff for kids. Some people just don't have that, you know. Some people just don't have that upon their life. So when you do something, examine the fruit. When I get up and speak, do people listen? Are people's lives changed? Do people feel challenged? Do people feel inspired if you're speaking? You know? If, you, if, you, if you, you're serving people, do people actually feel like you've, you've served? Are they blessed by that? 
Or you're running around telling what they should do. That's not really, and calling it service. And is that people, you know? Examine the fruit in your life. When you do that thing, when you administer, when you organize functions or you organize an event, at the end of it, did it work? Did it flow smoothly? You know, examine the fruit of the things upon your life that you do. So ask yourself those questions. So what are we going to do? We're going to pray first. Secondly, we're going to look for opportunities. Thirdly, we're going to think, ask ourselves questions. What do we enjoy and so on? Fourthly, we're going to examine the results. What happens when we do these things? And finally, the last one, we're going to ask people who really know us. Ask someone that really, really knows Someone that's, that knows the mask we sometimes put on. Someone who actually knows you. You know what? If you were to, to, to say to me, what are the gifts on my life? What are the things upon my life that, I, that are there that you reckon... Uh, 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 something that I could use as a benefit to the community in which I am, that I could use to serve others, that I could use to, that, that when I flow in that, that, that good things happen. Ask somebody close to you, you know? What are, what are some of those things? So there's five practical, simple, I'm sorry to be unspiritual largely today, but, but I don't think we always got to be, sometimes we're overly spiritual as a church. Sometimes we're, let's put the spiritual stuff away. Let's just get a bit practical every now and then. And today's been very practical, okay? So five things that we're going to do. We're going to pray and we're going to ask God to open up our eyes and show us. Secondly, we're going to look for opportunities around us. Remember, doing something once is not a really good indicator of whether it's a gift or not. You know, do things a few times, okay? Uh, and try a few different things. You might start down this path and go, you know what, there's no fruit and I don't come alive when I do it and I don't like Well, maybe try something else. But there's definitely something. There's a gift in the life of every human being. So we're going to look for opportunities. We're going to think. We're going to ask ourselves questions. We're not just going to do it robotically. We're going to ask questions while we do these things. Okay, how do I feel? What am I, what am I thinking? What's, what's, and so on. We're going to uh, think about the fruit. We're going to look at the fruit and see what happens as a result of that. And we're going to ask questions of people that know us really, really well. Look, I feel like this might be a gift. What do you think? We're going to do those five practical things. Is that, is that, is that easy to do? Five simple, um, simple things that we can do because we're here for a reason. We're here for a reason. And I'm hoping that the last couple of weeks, I'm deliberately trying to agitate you a little bit. You know, it's in the washing machines with the agitator. Is that what it's called? And, and it just does this, just goes like that. You know? And, and you ever had anyone grab you on the, on the sides and do that? It's just annoying after a while. Just like, stop doing it. Don't touch my hips in the first place. It's too much. But people know this. And that's kind of what I'm hoping to do. I'm deliberately doing If you're feeling agitated, if you're going, going home, if you get in a car and turn to the person, she's agitating me, good. Because that's exactly my goal in these last couple of weeks and the next couple of weeks as well. I just want to agitate us. Because sometimes we need to be agitated out of if sitting there just going through the motions. We need to start to get a little bit agitated and go, rightio. What, what, why am I here and what can I contribute to make this world the kind of place that God wants it to be? Amen? So let me pray. Father, thank you for today. God, thank you for, uh, Lord, being with us. God, I thank you uh, for the Bible that we have. Uh, Lord, that gives us a bit of insight into who you are. God gives us a bit of insight into your thoughts and uh, Lord, helps us practically in, in what we do in life today as well. And God, I just pray for each of us in this room that Lord, you'd open up our eyes that we would see that gift. What is that thing that's unique to us as human beings? What is that thing you've placed in us, God? And that, Father, we wouldn't just be content to use that thing to make money or to earn a living or just uh, get notoriety or fame or popularity, but, God, there'd be something in us that would look at that gift and go, I could do this in the community and be a real blessing to the community in which I am if I could just make that little change or that little adjustment, Father. So I just pray for each person here, Lord, just agitate away inside of our spirits.
and make us the people that you want us to be, God. Turn this church into what you want, God, not what religion says, but God, we want to be the kind of people that you want us to be. Lord, I pray you protect each person as the week goes on. And Father, I pray in the next seven days, each of us would have an opportunity to show the love, the goodness, and the kindness of God to somebody that doesn't yet know you, Father. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Um, And seven days a week. I'll see you in a week. Unless you're